0: We sat learning to trust God until the morning comes, that dawn of eternity, and where the home of the soul will be, and dealing with the trials, the tribulations, and the darkness of this life until we reach that day. As you read through the scriptures, always interesting, if you will, and challenging and enlightening to read the thoughts of individuals as they face death, to see what it was that was on their mind and on their heart and the desires that they had. We'll see a little bit of that in Peter's admonition to those of his day there in 2 Peter chapter 3 in a moment. To back up and if you look through the Gospels, It will be in John chapter 17 that you will find the the prayer of Jesus. And you catch a glimpse, again, of what was on his heart and what was on his mind (coughs) as he faced that dark hour of his life, even knowing what lied beyond that, the resurrection, the ascension back to the Father, and that home with the Father in heaven. But have to go through that dark trial, if you will, of facing the betrayal of those that loved him, facing the abandonment of those who he worked with and taught for three three and a half years, dealing with the throng and the multitudes that would not accept what he had to say. It's interesting again, as you, particularly as you read the Gospel of John, is that John spends a great deal of time in his Gospel dealing with that last week of Jesus on the face of this earth. The things that were going through, the things that were on his mind, if you will, the, the prayer to the Father, that we could be one as he and the Father were one. What a prayer. What a desire. What a goal that he would have, that we would be able or we would want to strive to have that unity of mind with the Father above, that we could perceive the brevity of this life regardless of how dark it is or how dark it appears to be to us and to see the brightness of that new day of eternity with God. And the other thoughts that he, he brings out in that prayer in John 17. You go over into the, the book of Acts and you read on a little bit and you get over to Acts chapter seven and going into chapter eight but in the six and seven you read about Stephen, the one that we would call the, the first martyr for the cause of Christ. And you see the, the love that he had for the people that he was reaching out to, even though at, towards the end of it he has that stinging remark for them that you are stiff, Nick, and you are a rebellious people, just like your forefathers were. I mean, you haven't changed one iota. You're stiff, Nick. You will not bow the head to God. And you're rebellious in that you will not listen To what God has to say. But he lays out that beautiful brief history. Of God and his people. And he's laying out. Not just the rebellion of the people. But he's laying out that long suffering of God. In caring for his people. And wanting the people to see. The depths of God's love for them. They may not have seen it. They may not have understood it. It was a difficult time for them of that first century, for those of that Jewish background, to have to to wrestle with and to, to grasp that concept that what they had known and what they had cherished, and even though they had misunderstood it, was no longer what God wanted it's not what he ever had wanted, but they had, he was not working under that law of Moses any longer. And that they needed to understand that, and that had to be difficult for them. To let go of what they knew and what they had cherished. To embrace what they knew and had cherished, but to embrace what it had foretold. Of a new covenant. of a better sacrifice, and a better hope. And oh, such a better place to anticipate. No longer just that old Jerusalem in Israel, but that new Jerusalem that we discussed a little bit this morning that's in heaven. And that longing to want to be there. We wrestle with life as we see it, we talk about persecution, we see it as we view it at least, beginning to intensify to a degree, and for those who want to stand for what is right, and how far it will go, to what depths it will go, we do not know, but we do know God who watches over his people. And we see that again as you look at the life of Paul, as he will Talk to the Corinthians in that second letter over in chapter 12, 11 and 12, as you look at some things that he went through and some things that he endured. And how he could anticipate something far greater. And to encourage others to be able to, to close out his life with that charge to, to Timothy I fought the fight, I've kept the faith. I finished the course, and there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, has promised not only to me, but also to all of those who love his appearing. But it's fighting that fight. It's keeping the faith. And it's that understanding, again, this is only temporary. This is darkness. It looks like it's overwhelming for us but it's not. And that there is something far greater. He, he anticipated that reward. What is the reward of keeping that faith, that crown of righteousness that the Lord has laid up for those who love him and who love his superior? You can see a little bit as you, we mentioned a little bit about John in the book of Revelation and being on the island of Patmos, catching that glorious scene above enough to encourage him to deal with the life. From tradition as we have it at least, the Apostle John would be the only one of the apostles that would die a natural death, if you will. The others were put to death. Paul, Peter, and record, or tradition says the others as well, had suffered a Cruel death in one shape, form, or fashion in their life. But even John, as he would died the natural death, probably had his life shortened, even though he may have been in his 90s, had his life shortened by the physical life that he endured for the cause of Christ. But there's something greater, something beyond that. And you see it in Peter as we would have tradition that would remind us at least that as Peter would face crucifixion, it was his request or his desire that he would be crucified head down because he did not feel that he was worthy to suffer in the same fashion of death as did his Savior. He wanted to die different and not being worthy to suffer in the same fashion. But as he faces life or faces death, as he writes to the Christians of his day and this second letter that he writes to them, has a number of things to remind them of as well. He would remind them in chapter 1 and down to verse 5. We have some great promises given to us in verse 4. We're partakers of that divine nature. We've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge, and on goes with what we call the Christian graces. Given all diligence, you give serious attention to how you live your life. Again, you, you look up. We, we tend to look from side to side. We tend to look forward and, and backward. We, we want to see either where we've been, where we're going forward, if you will, and side to side. What's coming our way? And oftentimes, we, we really fail to, to look up. Look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith for that joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God the Hebrew writer reminds us in Hebrews 12 interesting again follow that example fix your eyes on Jesus he's the author and the perfecter of your faith the finisher he's one that brought it into existence he'll see it through to completion until one day that faith can become sight, and reality will be with God. To be willing to endure what's there. And again, that hardship along the way. Mentioned the, the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Going back and rereading that. Catching what was important to him. How was his disciples be? How could they be encouraged in keeping that faith? Peter's going to talk about in that third chapter about the end of time, but drop down to verse 10 as well in, in that first chapter. As he talked about the Christian graces and began to bring those out, in verse 8 he said, If these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. If we're not growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have forgotten that we've been purged from our sins. Therefore, in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, Give more diligence to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And I love 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly and to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sometimes we discuss, if I can just get in by the skin of my teeth, if I can just barely squeak into heaven, that's all I want. That's not what Peter is saying at all. When we're saying, if I can just squeak in, I'm looking at self. And heaven is not based on self. Heaven is based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. And because it has been abundantly shed upon us in the forgiveness of our sins, the continually forgiveness of our sins and washing us clean that we can stand pure in the eyes of God, that interest into heaven is abundantly supplied unto us. We go in on the blood of Jesus Christ and that changes everything. But it also needs to change the life that we live. And it's hard because we live in the flesh it's hard we fight with the flesh even though it's a spiritual warfare we we're still fighting with the flesh what we see what we perceive and what we're going through the emotions that are there that we forget that power that God has given unto us that indeed we could be his people and do the things that would be pleasing in his sight in that third chapter then of second peter he, he talks about that end of time He's going to mention about those who are going to do the mocking. They have been there. They are there. And they will continue to be there until the end of time. Where is the promise of his coming? He said he's coming again. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and to receive you unto myself. He said, I'm coming to get you. Where is he? Why hasn't he come for you? So they mock. They want to say everything has continued the same since creation, interesting thoughts there. One is that they acknowledge there was a creation. But two is they forgot about the flood. Everything has not continued as it was from the creation. Things are not as they've always been. God intervened into the lives of human beings in a direct way in the bringing of the flood. But he's always intervened in the lives of his people. We just don't see it in the way that we would like to see it. He dwells in us. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask according to that power that works within us. According to that power that works within us. He works within us, and he's able to do beyond what we ask or think. Again, it's an impossibility for us to even begin to imagine where we would be today if it was not for the intercession of Jesus on our behalf before the Father. It's hard to imagine where we would be today if it was not for the fact of God working exceedingly abundantly within our life. We may think it's bad, but really we have no concept of how bad it could be. We can read history. We can read some of the atrocities of time. We can read Genesis 6 and the flood and so forth. We can look at Genesis 18 In 19, we could read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and we could read some wicked things and the wicked things that have been done by mankind. But there's no way for us to even begin to imagine what life would be without that intercession of God. Peter's trying to remind them. He would tell them there, you need to regard the fact that the Lord has not come to be salvation. And every one of us that is a child of God has a date in their mind that they are eternally grateful that God did not come before that date, the date that you became a child of the living God. Because up to that date, you had no hope. And you were lost. But since that date. You have hope. And you're no longer lost. You know a direction. He left us an example to follow in his steps. He left us the way to go. And how we ought to be conducting ourselves. Take time as you read through the gospels. Look at how. Jesus dealt with those that he encountered. And knowing that as we strive to use his example, and as we strive to pattern our life after him, there's going to be imperfection. Because he was perfect and we are not. But he left us that example of how to deal with life. That's one of those times in human history, if you will, that it's one of the most glorious times that could have been. And it's one of the most dark times that could have been. Glorious in the sense that for that brief period of time, there was actually upon the face of this earth one of the Godhead. You ever thought about that? What a glorious time that had to be when he actually walked on the face of this earth. And it has to be one of the saddest times on human history as well because of why he walked on this earth. He came for one reason only. To die for our sins, What a sad occasion in that sense that the Son of God had to come and to die so that we might live. But then to take that positive side out of it, the fact that he has not come back, we're to regard it as salvation. He gives us that opportunity each day that we live, each breath that we take, each moment that is ours those moments that we sometimes so carelessly let slip by. How many of us sit there and wonder from time to time, when did the, where did the last 30 years go? Where did the last 40, 50 years go? I mean, I know some of you cannot go back that far, but I, some of us can. Go back to this, just to think, where has the time go, gone? You know, we hear it all the time. The older you get, the faster time goes by. You know, when you were a child, Christmas came every six years. And then when you get to be adults, it's every two weeks. It's just, where did the time go? And all the things we promised to do. How many things have you promised to put put off until tomorrow? How many things have you put off until you had some time? When I get some time, here's what I'm going to do. And then before you know it, where is ten years gone? They're gone. And we need to understand that brevity, and understand God knows that. And God is patient that He works with us. Grants us time to make those changes along within our life as well. We're looking forward to that promise of that new heavens and that new earth in which righteousness dwell. Then you got verse 14. Therefore, beloved, beloved, looking forward to these things, be what? Be diligent. Be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. You have to give attention the life that you live. Physical life tells you that. Physical consequences tell you that. You have to give attention. And try as we may, there is no way that you can enforce a person to give attention. Does, Does not matter what laws are passed. What warnings are enacted? What dangers are posted? What consequences are shown? Individuals will still drive without paying attention to what they're doing. I always love the text up above. It says, "Don't don't text and, and drive." I read the text later. I said, "What are you doing? You got a text up there, and you're telling me not to read the text." that I just need to be driving. But simply saying, how many cars do you pass that you do not see them driving like this? I can do it, whatever it is. Not giving diligence. And again, how quickly can that life end? Isn't it true spiritually? How we can go through life carelessly, if you will. How we can go life doing okay. But not giving diligence to the task that we've been given. And when we take our eyes off of the author and the perfect of our faith, how quickly life can be lost. Only takes a heartbeat. That concept again, only a heartbeat away from death. That's all we are. And what do we do with it? Give some diligence to that. Then you'll close out. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in his grace. The grace he's extended to you The grace that he's given to you and the grace that he wants you to give to those around you as well. Catch that glimpse of that depth of the grace of God. I love that song that we sing periodically. Grace that's greater than our sin. How marvelous that is. And grow in that knowledge. Read of that tremendous love that he demonstrated. Of how he never gave up on humanity. Even as he walked on the face of this earth. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. What grace that's been extended? The question will be, has it been received? Have we received that grace of God that's caused us to change our life? Have we received that grace of God that encourages us to do the things that God would be pleased with? And with that attitude, it changes again that course of life. As does the invitation song. There's a great day coming. It can only be seen in one or two ways. That's it, one or two ways. It's either a bright day for the child of God, bright day for the one who's prepared, the bright day for the one who is waiting, the one who is anticipating this coming. And it's a sad day for those who are not prepared. It's a sad day for those who are thinking about getting prepared. Sad day for those who know they need to get prepared, but who haven't. Which day is it for you? What's your answer? That opportunity is extended this evening for one to be able to make a change in their life. And if there's a, one that needs to make a change... You know, if we could assist you, if we could help you, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.